Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to the Yoga Hour Offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and our topic today is Inner Nurturing for Healthier Eating. Living a yogic life really touches all aspects of our life, including our diet, eating lots of fresh vegetables and fruits, choosing organic and locally grown when possible, nurtures our body temple, and is really basic, you know, nutritional advice that really Western medicine pretty much, you know, agrees with all down the line. However, Many of us struggle with imbalances in our eating, sometimes overeating, eating when we're not hungry, or choosing comfort foods that may satisfy us in the moment, but often don't feel good a few hours later. My guest today is perfect person to talk about this with. Her name is Julie Simon. She's a psychotherapist and life coach and the best-selling author of the Emotional Eater's Repair Manual, and also the book we will be discussing today, When Food is Comfort, Nurture Yourself Mindfully, Rewire Your Brain, and End Emotional Eating. Julie is an inspirational speaker and for the past three decades has been helping overeaters and imbalanced eaters heal their relationships with themselves, their bodies, and food, stop dieting, lose excess weight, and keep it off. Julie is the founder and director of the 12-week Emotional Eating Recovery Program, an alternative to dieting that addresses the true cause of overeating and weight gain, emotional hunger, and body imbalance. Julie has been a featured expert on numerous TV and radio shows and podcasts, and she loves to wake people up to their phenomenal mind, body, and spirit signals and help them nurture themselves mindfully without turning to food. You can find out more about Julie Simon, her books, and scheduled events at her website, overeatingrecovery.com. Welcome, Julie Simon. I'm really delighted to have you with us on the Yoga Hour today. Hi, Laurel. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So before we begin our dialogue about inner nurturing for healthier eating, let's begin with a moment of centering and contemplation. So let's begin right where we are and just notice our bodies in space. Just feel where your body touches, whatever surface is supporting it, whether you're sitting, walking, driving, just feel your body in space. And then notice 
as you take a fully conscious breath. Notice the inhale and the exhale. The next inhale, notice the cool air entering the nostrils. And the next exhale, notice the warm air flowing out. As we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's Book of Inspirations, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Finding fault is easy. Often it is just an old habit that drags us down. All day long, the lower brain looks for threats like an early cave dweller scanning the horizon for predators. To interrupt this insistent tendency, we can train our brain to look for the good, to seek what, are, what is uplifting and can be affirmed. Decide to notice and inwardly affirm what you find praiseworthy. Before falling asleep at night, take a few moments to engage your memory in a positive scan of the day. What went right? What useful or healthy choices did you make? Even if you can only think of one positive thing, focus on that and magnify it. Reflect on how it felt and what that positive experience was like. Our health, our sense of well-being, and our relationships all benefit from this change of focus. So simple, so powerful. Oh. Once again, Julie Simon, welcome to the Yoga Hour podcast. Hi there again. <laughs> <laughs> so your book, When Food is Comfort, Nurture Yourself Mindfully, Rewire Your Brain, and End Emotional Eating, is your second book about emotional eating, with the first one titled The Emotional Eater's Repair Manual, as I mentioned earlier. You also see clients, and you founded the 12-week Emotional Eating Recovery Program. So how did you begin, how did you become interested in this area? Well, you know, <clears throat> I think I was probably interested in this area since I was a teenager, um, struggling with uh, gaining weight, overeating, um, and I ended up spending a good portion of my life stuck in a cycle of overeating comfort foods, gaining weight, and dieting, and I definitely realized that I ate emotionally. I used food to calm and soothe myself. It helped numb the pain of unpleasant emotions and self-doubts and negative thoughts. Um, food altered my brain chemistry and it was a good distraction and it temporarily filled up a, an inner emptiness that I experienced um, early in my life. What I came to understand over time was that I had entered adulthood missing uh, many basic self-care skills like the ability to move through unpleasant emotional states, <clears throat> comfort and soothe myself, reframe self-defeating thoughts and regulate my nervous system. And so I began to understand that this had a lot to do with my eating. And mm -hmm. in order to resolve my imbalanced relationship with food, I was going to need to understand uh, more about uh, what, I, what the skills that I was missing and learn them. It took many years of study and therapy and visits to healthcare practitioners for me to understand and resolve all the pieces of the overeating or imbalanced eating puzzle in my own life. And I was very passionate during those years. I was understanding the mind, body, and spirit 
pieces um, yeah. to that recovery and felt very passionate about helping other people uh, resolve all those pieces. And also one other thing I would say is very passionate about the fact that we have these phenomenal mind, bodies, and spirit that give us a multitude of signals every day mm-hmm. to help us stay in balance and teaching people how to connect to this phenomenal machine uh, and allow it to guide us in taking the best care of ourselves. Yeah. So I really, I really appreciate that about your book. You know, you really bring in so many areas. You bring in, you know, psychology. Obviously, you know, you have a background in that. You also bring in neuroscience, which in the end, I think is so hopeful, right? You know, that neuroscience, when I was in medical school in the 1980s, you know, the the thought about, you know, our brains is totally different. It was kind of like, you know, you had as many neurons as you were ever going to have. And kind of, you know, there was this feeling that, you know, there wasn't this awareness of how dynamic, you know, that piece is. And so anyway, I really, I really appreciated, I really appreciated that you brought all those pieces, you know, into your book. So you draw parallels in the book between overeating and other related difficulties, such as overusing alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography. I love this list. It goes on drama, anger, and even internet surfing or video games. And I wanted to, you know, make sure to include those other issues for those listeners who may not have problems with overeating, but may have one of these other issues manifesting in our lives. So um, what, in your experience, has been, um, you know, what do you see as the underlying source for these problems? And I think you kind of already touched on that, you know, what you said earlier, but could you expand that a little bit? Well, truly, the underlying source in all of these um, uh, difficulties that we have is difficulty regulating, difficulty with self-regulation. Okay, so what does that really mean? It's a term and a lot of lay people don't know really what does that mean self-regulation really refers to our ability to manage our emotions and our moods uh, to regulate our nervous system to control or redirect disruptive impulses and behaviors and to think before we act right so to be able to make a choice to pause and say gee, those cookies look really good, but they're not so great for my health and I would like to lose a little weight, so I'll pass on them. So, Or mm-hmm. I'd like to have another drink. That wine tasted so good, but it's probably not that healthy for me to have more than you know this glass or two that I've already had. So the question is, what gets in the way of us being able to regulate our behaviors? And I think what's consistent across the board for all, all challenges that we have is uh, a disconnection that's going on. We're disconnected from those mind, body, and spirit signals. So we may be connected enough to notice that we're getting a little heartburn when we're having that second cup of coffee. We may Mm -hmm. notice it, but we may not be doing anything about it, right? Because there's something, I want that coffee, or I want more stimulation, or so we're disconnecting, or perhaps... Uh, we come home from a long day at work and we had uh, a lot of challenges and we're, we want to just have those glasses of wine or we, we want to have that comfort food because we don't want to connect to ourselves. Kind of what you said in the, in the introduction when you were, or when you were giving that little um, guided imagery of what to do at night, you know, think about what's positive. We don't want to connect. We don't want to yeah. take that time and we don't want to feel some of those feelings right yeah and yet yeah, yeah absolutely and yet those are precious signals from within that 
need attention paid to them so that we can really take the best care of ourselves. So that what's consistent with all of these uh, difficult behavioral challenges is disconnection, Mm. disconnecting from our emotions, disconnecting from our bodily sensations, disconnecting from our needs, um, disconnecting from the thoughts that we're having in our head, disconnection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you even say it in the title, I think, but, you know, it's, it's um, self-nurturance, right? You know, that, that um, is what you're trying to build, you know, with your book. Um, So how do you define that self-nurturance and why is it so important in trying to change our behavior? Well, I think I would want to go back a little bit for a second. And, you know, we talked about the brain and how important, uh, how, how wonderful it is now that we know that we can kind of rewire the brain. But I think what's what's really important for us, uh, you know, to, to look at is that is some of the recent developments uh, in neuroscience that show that when we don't receive consistent and sufficient emotional nurturance in our early years, our brains and our nervous system become wired for high arousal. And this Mm -hmm. makes it more difficult for us to soothe ourselves and leaves us at greater risk of seeking comfort from external sources such as food. So if what we're saying is that our nervous system and our brains have become wired for high arousal and it makes it difficult for us to soothe ourselves, the question becomes, how will we soothe ourselves? How do we soothe ourselves? How can we soothe ourselves when our brain is like that? So we've got to learn to develop structures in the brain that didn't get well developed when we were young structures that help us self-regulate okay Mm -hmm. and i like to call that part of the brain that self-regulating part of the brain also the nurturing part of the brain the the part Mm -hmm. of the brain that can say uh, i know you're upset i see you've had a really hard day I'm here with you. I care about you. I love you. We can get through this, right? We've mm-hmm. got to develop. If we'd never heard that voice enough when we were young, if we didn't get enough of it, we may have had very loving, kind parents, but maybe we didn't hear enough of it, or maybe they weren't able to nurture us in those ways. We won't have developed a voice inside that does that for us. And this is what I've seen consistently over the last three decades is that almost everyone that shows up in my office doesn't have a well-developed nurturing voice in their Mm -hmm. head. And when we work on it, they say, well, it feels awkward to talk to myself like that. It feels foreign to say kind, warm, loving things to myself. Well, this is where the work is. It feels foreign when you pick up a guitar and you've never played it and you place your fingers on frets. It feels really foreign. When you learn a new language, it feels really awkward learning a new language. It's just a skill that it's either poorly developed or missing and we need to develop it we need to develop an inner nurturing voice that's capable of soothing us and reassuring us and regulating our behaviors mm-hmm. and so when i was reading the book i was i was struck by you know in that in many areas you kind of return to this but you know paying attention to that voice that voice that we do hear you know so like what are you hearing right now you know when you do one of these behaviors that you're trying to, you know, eliminate. So you do overeat or you do eat junk food or, you know, whatever it is. Um, You know, what does that voice sound like? You know, paying attention to that. And I was going to mention that um, this idea of self-regulation, you know, that you were, that we've been talking about, you know, one of the three 
main processes of uh, actually two out of the three, I think really, um, you know, your work really touches on these, you know, main processes of yoga that were outlined, you know, what, so many thousands of years ago in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is kind of, you know, the main text for yoga. Um, And those two, you know, processes are self-discipline, um, which is has relationship, I think, to some of the things you talked about, you know, for um, for self-regulation and then uh, self-study. Right. So, you know, as I just was saying, like, you know, that voice that you are hearing when this is happening, that, you know, is is there and we're often unaware of it, um, you know, and and being able to you know notice that voice, that's a process of self-study and then trying to you know, be aware of that voice and to um, develop this nurturing voice that you just mentioned, this sort of adult, you know, nurturing voice. Um, that's, that can be a process of self-discipline, you know, right. Of, of, you know, building what we know that we need. And then the last thing I'd say is it's so hopeful, right. That, you know, that neuroscience now tells us we can change this. So even if this was something in our childhood that we didn't get, this is something that we can get now we can build it for ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, another way to look at it is that when we when we get it from when we're young, if we get it from our parents, we we call it attunement and a good attunement means that someone's listening to your emotions and helping you handle your bodily sensations when they're uncomfortable and they help you address your needs, identify your needs and they notice when you're having self-defeating thoughts and they 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 tune in. And so what we now know is that that good attunement is what wires the brain in in a very healthy way. Now, if we didn't get that good attunement, the wonderful news is that just to your point, what you said with a little bit of self-discipline, we can practice internal attunement. We can begin to tune in regularly. And that's what all of my work is about, tuning in regularly. What am I feeling in this moment? What emotions am I feeling? What bodily sensations am I feeling? And to go slow with it and be mindful and and, um, approach it with curiosity and interest, right? And what you were saying before about, you know, the voices in our head, what I found again over all the years of my work with um, overeaters and imbalanced eaters is that the predominant voice in their head is usually an inner critic. It's a very strong, critical voice. Um, and most do not have a, a well-developed nurturing voice. They have a what I call the feeling self, a very, maybe a rebellious self or a sad self or an anxious self or, you know, a feeling self. Um, they have an adult voice that maybe just says a uh, neutral voice, like let's take the dishes out. Let's do the dishes, you know, before we take the trash out. But there isn't a voice that's kind and loving and soothing and warm that they apply to themselves. They might say, oh yeah, I have that voice for small children. I can access that voice when I talk to an animal, but I can't do it with myself. And this is, uh, this is the crux of the recovery. And the wonderful news is that it's just a skill and it's a skill that can be learned. And what I found, which is so wonderful, the neuroscience supported this years later. I didn't even know it when I was doing it, but I was practicing these skills myself over and over again. Um, and I was rewiring my own brain and it was becoming easier and easier. And I was finding, I was loving myself and caring for myself and nurturing myself. And my life was just 
improving dramatically on all fronts and the the stopping of the eating and the weight loss that part was effortless that's the thing that's so beautiful there was no more dieting no more struggle it was effortless mm. so um yeah I, I appreciated that in the book you know when you when you were talking about how you that was your lived experience that things got easier um, and yoga also has a, a um, because yoga is really about all of our life, you know, and not just, you know, a few postures on a mat somewhere. But anyway, it has this idea of samskaras and samskaras are like, a, you know, the path that, a, that a, say, a wheel makes on a dirt road, you know, and it, and it wears down. And so, you know, yoga has recognized again for thousands of years that we have those, you know, and it's, you know, once those are laid down, it's easier to fall into that groove, you know, and follow along that behavior, which is kind of how we ended up where we are now. But again, the hopeful news is we can lay down those new grooves, which again, is supported by, you know, as you said, by neuroscience, that we can really, you know, change, um, change these, um, you know, change these behaviors with with practice. And I love you, your um, association of that with a skill, like playing a guitar or learning a foreign language. Of course, it's going to feel foreign at first. It's as it would to pick up a guitar and try, try and play that. So um, one of the other things I really appreciated about the book was um, the complexity with which you, you know, you approach overeating, because there are so many diet books out there, right, who make it sound so simple, right? Just eat exactly this and nothing different. And, you know, your life will change. And, you know, and obviously, those have a very, very high failure rate. Um, but let me just read this little section, you know, about the complexity of overeating, you say, Overeating may seem like a simple act, but it's actually a complex behavior. All overeating behaviors, mindless or excessive snacking, overeating at meals and binging are the result of complex interactions among emotional, cognitive, biological, neurological, social, and spiritual factors, temperament and constitution, genetically inherited brain and body imbalances, insufficient nurturing, traumatic childhood experiences, chronic stress, chronic dieting, and the easy availability of high-calorie, nutrient-deficient foods all play a role. So when I read that list, it's like, <laughs> whoo, <laughs> talk about complex. I mean, that really touches on, you know, on everything. So with this complexity, it's, it's kind of easy to see why so many people have difficulties with their weight and why restrictive diets that don't take, you know, any factors other than just looking at just what you're eating, like, and try and just change, like, instead of reaching for whatever, for fudge, like reach for an apple, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> if, it, if that's the level, you know, there is going to be a high failure rate. But, you know, it, it, you know, so many people do have a failure rate and lose hope, you know, about being able to change their behavior. So how do you encourage your clients to maintain that sense of hope about their ability to do something that they've perhaps tried in the past and haven't been able to do? Well, you know, one of the reasons I, uh, the first book that I wrote, The Emotional Eaters Repair Manual, which is actually based on my 12-week program, um, that was a very important book for me to write because I wanted to, just just to your point of the paragraph that you just read, I wanted to call out to the world that overeating was a complex behavior and it required a multidimensional approach uh, to treating it because I was so tired of looking at, like you said, all these diet books and just eat this and then that'll solve that. And, and I knew from my own recovery <clears throat> that there were uh, emotional skills that I was missing 
I also knew that I had physiological imbalances that had to be addressed. I had brain chemistry imbalances that had to be addressed. I had food allergies and sensitivities that had to be addressed. I had hormonal imbalances, very bad PMS. Uh, I had all kinds of things going on. And then I knew that exercise played a role and sleep, restorative sleep plays a role. So I thought, how can I write a book about this if I don't address and then uh, the third part, so the first part of the book is the emotional skills. The second part is the body balancing. And the third part is spiritual. You know, uh, I had people coming into my practice and saying, you know, I want you to help me work on my weight. And I would say, you know, tell me a little bit about your life. And they'd say, well, I hate my job and I'm in a terrible marriage, but I don't want to work on any of that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I just want to change what I'm eating. <laughs> right. And so I felt like, you know, well, spiritual is important. Like, do you have nourishing connections in your right. life? Do you have right. purpose and passion and meaning? So I felt like I can't address overeating if I don't address the whole gestalt. I have to address the whole enchilada, if you will. Uh, <laughs> Such a great food metaphor. <laughs> yes. And so when people would come to me and they would feel hopeless and say, you know, I, it's, I've just not been able to work it all out. I would say to them, you know, I have such good news for you because I can tell from, you know, maybe our first session or so that you're missing some skills and I can teach you those skills. I also have a sense that you may have some brain chemistry imbalances, maybe a little dysthymia or a little generalized anxiety disorder or something, or maybe a little ADHD or ADD, you know, or I see that you've got really bad PMS. You're going through some menopausal stuff. We can look at all of this. This is all playing a role in your eating. Perfect. And right there, unbelievably, we've already come to the break. So you're listening to The Yoga Hour with guest Julie Simon, author of the book we're discussing today, When Food is Comfort, Nurture Yourself Mindfully, Rewire Your Brain, and End Emotional Eating. You can find out more about Julie Simon, her books, and her scheduled events at the website overeatingrecovery.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host of the Yoga Hour. When we come back from the break, we're going to be exploring more about our ability to self-nurture and really um, dive a little bit more into Julie's seven skills for um, mindfulness, how we can bring mindfulness in these seven areas and how that can really help us to develop this ability to uh, self-nurture that she was just mentioning is such a source for so many of these disordered behaviors that we've been discussing. And with that, we will be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. Living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. This is Dr. Laurel Trujillo. I am the co-host and producer of the Yoga Hour, and my guest today is Julie Simon, MA, MBA, and LMFT, 
a psychotherapist and life coach, best-selling author. The, books we, the book we are discussing today is When Food is Comfort. So Julie, um, diving in now to how to increase our ability to self-nurture, you give seven mindfulness skills that we can develop to build our ability for this inner nurturing that you and I were talking about earlier as being so important. Um, so we're not going to be able to talk about all of them in depth, but I thought it'd be great if you could give us a little overview you know, of the, the seven steps, and then we can talk about a couple of them more in detail. Sure. So probably easiest to give an overview by um, giving an example. Start. Let's take an example. Let's say that you are driving home from work and you've had a really difficult day. You had some challenging conversations with coworkers and maybe with your boss and or maybe something went on with your uh, your partner. Um, and you're driving home and you're you're hungry and you all you can think about is driving into a drive through and you're thinking I'm going to get, you know, the cheesiest, richest, you know, <laughs> burger, fries, shake, whatever, you know, you're just going to do some damage, right? Right. So I ask you to of course give yourself permission to do whatever you're going to do because if you try to start out with a, telling yourself you can't do it, that it's only going to increase your desire to do it. So say to yourself, I can still do it if I want to do it, but pull into the parking lot for a minute at the drive through and let's connect. I want you to connect to yourself a little bit first. And again, you can still have whatever you want. So there's no restriction that's going to happen. We're just, we're just adding some skill to your repertoire. So you pull in the parking lot and the first skill is called pop the hood. And really, it just means, you know, like a master mechanic, if a mechanic's going to diagnose, you know, what's going wrong with a car, he can't diagnose unless he pops the hood and is listening for, you know, problems. So you're going to listen for signals of distress. You pop the hood and you ask yourself, what emotions am I experiencing in this moment? You know, I came back from work and what emotions am I experiencing? Now, often many emotional eaters are disconnected from their emotions. So they'll often say to me, I have the faintest idea what I'm what I'm experiencing. I'm numb. I'm not experiencing anything. In the book, in both my books, I give you lists of emotions, lists of bodily sensations, lists of needs, lists of soothing phrases, lots of lists for you to work with. So you can pull out a list if you have it um, and or just take a moment and think, what am I feeling? So you, you realize, <clears throat> well, I'm feeling kind of hurt by what my coworker said. I'm a little bit angry. Um, I'm feeling kind of sad and I'm feeling lonely about going home uh, and worried about my job. So there you go. You know, you're at the drive through lots of emotions coming up. Take a moment and pay attention to your bodily sensations. Close your eyes, you know, very quickly. It doesn't have to take a lot of time to do this. Notice the feeling of your feet on the floor of the car and your rear end in the seat and take notice. Do you notice any bodily sensations? So maybe you notice, gee, my shoulders are really tight. I've got a little bit of a headache. Um, definitely some tension in my upper back um, and feeling a fatigue in my whole body. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't forget clenching your jaw. That's a and, big one for me. And clenching your jaw. Okay. <laughs> clenching your jaw. Now, why are we doing this? Well, part of the reason we're doing this, of course, as I said before, we're trying to connect to ourselves, and that's very important. We can't really make changes unless we connect with ourselves. But in this process of popping the hood, we're also regulating our nervous system because what we know is that as we pay attention mindfully 
to what's happening in our body, it actually is the beginning of calming and soothing. It's a calming and soothing act to mm. pay attention to what we're feeling because it gets us to slow down and quiet ourselves and ground ourselves a little bit. So with this first step, we're already beginning to regulate our nervous system. And if our if our nervous system is more regulated, we are more we are less likely to need to turn to food or other substances or behaviors uh, to regulate our nervous system. So skill number one, we pop the hood and we're connecting to ourself and, and, and we're quieting things down. Skill number two. And in skill number two, we're going to begin the process of bringing in a nurturing inner voice. And this is what we talked about earlier that we've, in order to rewire our brain so it's not set up for high arousal all the time and we've got to quickly turn to food to, to uh, numb things out or quiet things down, we want to start to build a nurturing voice. So skill number two, we're going to practice something called self-validation. And again, this is very soothing and very calming. So you said <clears throat> you expressed that you were feeling angry. So you bring in a nurturing voice. And in the beginning, this is going to feel kind of awkward because you maybe don't have this voice well-developed. So it's a kind, loving adult voice. And that voice says, well, of course you feel hurt by what Sue said. It wasn't a very nice thing to say. And of course you're feeling angry. It makes sense to be feeling angry about that. And it makes sense that you're a little bit worried about your job because there was some fallout from what she said. And of and it does make sense to be feeling lonely because, you know, we broke up with Jack, you know, a year ago and we haven't found anyone else. And so it makes sense that you're feeling all of these feelings. That is so soothing and comforting. All of us know that external validation feels great. We say to a friend, oh, I'm so hurt about blah, blah, blah. And the friend, oh, of course you're hurt. Mm -hmm. Of course you're hurt. Validation is comforting. It's soothing. So it's Again, these steps are created very strategic. I created them very strategically to quiet the nervous system at the same time that we're building a nurturing voice. We're building that skill. We're building that muscle. Skill number three. Now we're going to reinforce the alliance between that nurturing voice. That's what we call the upstairs part of the brain where self-regulation takes place. And we're going to create an alliance with the emotional brain, the feeling self, the young part of you that says, I want a cheesy burger and fries now and I don't care about anything else. That's all that I want. We're going we're gonna to reinforce the alliance, okay? And there's three little steps to that. I'll just run through them very quickly. First, we remind that young part of ourself that the nurture is there. So the nurture says, I'm here with you. So the nurture just validated, of course, you're feeling that way. Of course, you're sad. Of course, you're lonely. It makes sense. I want you to know that I'm here with you. I'm here with you always. I'm closer than your breath. Mm. I'm right here with you. Again, we're calming down. We're regulating the nervous system. We're much less apt to need to turn to substances when we're calm and when we're soothed. Step number two in that reinforce the alliance that nurturing voice offers love and support. I love you. I care about you. I can see that you're worried about the job. You know, together we can figure this out. I'm here with you. You're not alone through this. I'm here with you. I'm the wisest part of you, the most loving, kind part of you. I can help. I can take care of you. Third step in this reinforce the alliance. Again, we're forming this alliance between the nurturing voice, the upstairs part of the brain, and the feeling little scared 
part of us, the downstairs part of the brain. We're rewiring the brain and we're forming an alliance. The third little step in that is offering comfort and soothing. And this, I put this step in here because we all have to learn what we find comforting and soothing. For one person, a phrase like, it's all going to be okay, is very comforting and soothing. For another person, that doesn't work at all. Something like, um, you're a wonderful person and you don't have to always be perfect might be comforting and soothing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that step, we're, we're working on learning what phrases, what words and phrases and gestures can we offer ourselves that we find comforting? Now, again, I can, I can ask a lot of emotional eaters. Sorry that my phone is going off. I can ask a lot of emotional eaters, um, what do you find comforting and soothing when you're feeling that upset? And they'll say, I don't know. I mm-hmm. don't know. You know, having a pie is comforting and soothing. Or uh, many of them right. will say, or having a drink, or they'll say, going to sleep. A lot of people say, I get in bed and I go to sleep. They don't know what they can say or do. What behaviors are comforting? Is it some will know some behaviors like, gee, if I take a bath, that could be comforting. Um, if I sit in a comfy chair with a cup of tea, that would, it would be comforting. So in this step, we're also learning what comforts us and what soothes us. We need to have a, a, um, a repertoire of those behaviors. Okay, fourth skill. Now we're going to get clear on our needs. So we, we know in this situation, we've, we've had a rough day at work. Um, we're upset, we're sad, we're hurt, we're angry, we're lonely. What is it? that you need in this situation. You certainly don't need, you know, certainly a hamburger and fries and a shake is not going to change the scenario at all. Okay. Okay. So you sit down and you ask yourself in this situation, and I give, I give the reader, uh, you know, um, questions to ask yourself to help you figure out what your needs are. Because again, this is an area where emotional eaters will say, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know what I need. Ask yourself in this situation, what is there not enough of, right? Mm -hmm. So you just came home from work. So maybe the person says, oh, I guess there's not enough support. I'm not getting enough support at work. I need more support. I need reassurance that uh, the things are going to be okay. I need, I need, I feel like I need some confidence in myself. Um, and I need more connection. I don't have enough people that I'm nourishing connections when I leave work. So now we're into kind of getting more clear on what's going on in our life. Right. Mm -hmm. And now we could go on really quickly to the fifth skill, catch and reframe self-defeating thoughts, because Maybe you identify all that and then you say, I could never get pull all this together. You know, right. there's so much wrong with my life, my work, my my social life. It's I've never tried I've tried to do this before and it hasn't I've, worked. I've tried before and I failed so many times. Why wouldn't I fail this time? Now that kind of thinking is gonna lead you right into the into the restaurant <laughs> to buy the <laughs> That's right. right. Exactly. So Why we bother? Have to, so we have to have another skill. We have right. to be able to catch those self-defeating thoughts and reframe them to say something like, well, I may have not achieved my goals 
you know, in terms of weight loss or, or my eating challenges at this point in time, but I am working on these new skills and I do have a new understanding that I'm missing some skills and I can work on them and I can do that tonight by leaving this restaurant and going home and preparing a healthy meal for myself and just spending a little quality time alone with myself thinking about all this, mm-hmm. right? Wow. And that's only five. <laughs> I did want to that's have a chance to, to that, that those are great. That was a really, really fantastic, you know, overview. Um, but I, I did want to, um, you know, mention you, you did talk about these lists that you have in the book. And uh, I, um, I wanted to share just just, you know, one part of one of the lists with people, because I, I really enjoyed it myself. So as you mentioned, often, we haven't been trained to identify our emotions and then link them with body, bodily sensations. And so there's not even a vocabulary, you know, that that people have. So I was just going to read, I'm going to do happy, there's actually seven core emotions that you list, uh, happy, afraid, hurt, ashamed, guilty, sad, and angry are the seven. But to be on the up positive side, here, I just want to read all of the words under happy, appreciative, blissful, calm, centered, Comfortable, compassionate, confident, connected, content, delighted, ecstatic, encouraged, energized, enthusiastic, excited, fulfilled, glad, grateful, hopeful, inspired, joyful, loving, moved, optimistic, peaceful, pleased, radiant, refreshed, safe, satisfied, secure, strong, thankful, tickled, and touched. <laughs> I just, I thought, wow, that is such a great list, you know, to do that first practice that you talked about that pop the hood, which is the diagnostic that you just mentioned, which is, you know, you're encouraging people to just tune into what emotion am I feeling? And if you don't have an emotional vocabulary, I would think a list like that would be so helpful. And, and then I think you also encourage people to um, perhaps keep a journal about this. Yes, and the one thing I want to say is that the reason you have to, I want to keep reiterating that the reason you have to build that inner nurturing voice is that it's not enough to know what you're feeling right? Um, or even what you're thinking or even what you're needing. Because if you don't have a voice that comes in and says, we can do this, we can get there, um, I'll I'll hold your hand while we head that down that road. Um, the rest of it can be overwhelming. Just knowing what you feel can be very overwhelming. Um, right. You know, noticing your self-defeating thoughts can be very overwhelming. People will say to me, I, I don't know how to get rid of that thought. I remember during my own journey, I had so many uh, early in my life, so many negative self-critical thoughts. And I thought, oh, my God, like, how does one change this? You can't just... At that, in those days, we called them tapes, you know, now right. they're CDs. But I thought, you can't just get a <laughs> new tape and plug it in your head. Like, what? how do you get rid of right. this? Um, that's why we have to have, at the same time, we have to be developing a nurturing voice. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, such a, that's such a great, you know, point. 
And, you know, using that skill of self-study, you know, asking that question and listening, you know, listening to what voice is it when you are pulling into the parking lot of the fast food place and about to buy something, um, you know, to, to pause. I, I love that image of just pulling over, just just resting there, you know, for a moment and just doing this, knowing that you can still have the burger or whatever it is, you know, but again, maybe feeling like you don't need it if, you know, after you go through this process of being able to develop this, you know, positive uh, talk. And then this idea too of these behaviors, which has such a strong, you know, neuroscience uh, grounding that, you know, the more we repeat these things, the easier they become, the easier, the more natural, you know, and, um, and it really, um, it really does get easier as you go. I know that's been your experience from what you write in the book. And that's also been mine. Yeah, and it re- it not only gets easier, it re- it's like you're a new you. I mean, it replaces the old tapes, the old wiring. It's just not there anymore. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's so beautiful. It's just not there anymore. The mm-hmm. old programming. Right. One of the things that can happen as we listen to those voices, um, you know, of uh, those judgmental voices that we often, you know, that often are what's playing in our in a radio, um, is that we can get really caught up in them because that's, cause they're, you know, when we're first starting, especially that's been going on for, you know, our whole life. Um, and one of the things that I, that I, um, appreciate about, um, John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness, which is one of the things that you include there, I'm just going to read it. Mindfulness is awareness cultivated by paying attention in a sustained and particular way on purpose in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. Again, mindfulness is awareness cultivated by paying attention in a sustained and particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. And I think that non-judgmental part is so is so important. It's if we can have just a little bit of a distance, you know, from listening uh, to that voice, can just keep that, you know. Um, keep that focus on that non-judgmental, you know, awareness. Um, it's so helpful. Right. And if you can't do that for yourself, then ask yourself, what would you say to someone else? Right. right? Because very, most of the time we would not say to other people the unkind things we say to ourselves. So, so that's true. a way to catch yourself. Right. Right. That is so true. That's such a great skill, you know, really listening to that. And, you know, how is that something that I would ever say to someone that I loved who is dear to me? And uh, usually the answer is no. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's see. We've got about four more minutes. Um, what would you like to do? Would you like to go back into the last few that we didn't talk about? Or did you want to dive a little bit more deeply into one of the things you've already mentioned? Um, let's see. I think that what's important maybe for the listener is to have a little skill that you could practice. Um, you know, because if, especially the listener, let's say you don't have this book or you want to start practicing a little bit something before you get the book. Um, in my first book, I teach a little three-step skill and 
And the second book, When Food is Comfort, what we just covered is a deeper dive really into into uh, the material covered in the first book. So in the first book, I cover a little skill. It's called an inner conversation. And so it's something I would would like to leave your listeners with, that it's something you can practice right away. And it's just a little three-step process that's quick. So again, anytime you find yourself wanting to eat and you're not hungry or wanting to select unhealthy comfort foods, even if you are hungry or you want to overeat at your meal or you want to feel like you're going to have a binge, pull away for a moment. Give yourself permission always that you can have the food later. And three-step process. Number one, ask yourself, what are you feeling in this moment? Okay. Again, this is going to help you connect to your feeling self, get to know yourself a little better and regulate your nervous system and calm and soothe yourself. What am I feeling? Step number two, in this moment, in this moment that I want to turn to food, what is it that I need? Okay. Again, connecting to yourself again, understanding what your needs are, Step number one, what am I feeling? Step number two, what do I need? You can just mm-hmm. ask yourself, what is there not enough of? That's always a best way to get at what you need. Like, what is there not enough of? And I'll, I'll often ask people, what do you need? And they'll say, I'm the faintest idea. And I'll say, well, what is there not enough of? And they'll say, oh, well, there's not enough love and kindness and time and ease and joy. You know, so ask yourself what there's not enough of. Step number three Again, this little three-step process will help you at least start doing some of the stuff we've talked about today. Access that inner nurturing voice and say something to yourself that is soothing, kind, calming, reassuring, hopeful, right? That, that gets you connecting to your feeling self and also accessing the inner nurturing voice. And just that three-step process, which I call an inner conversation, will take you very, very far. Mm. Really, really lovely. So we've got just about one more minute, and um, I wanted to give you the last word. So um, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? What I want to tell people is that no matter where you are with your use of food or your relationship with food, no matter how imbalanced it is, or if you're turning to other substances or behavioral um, processes, you know, things where you feel like you're a little out of control, it's always possible um, to build these skills and it's not ever, it never has to be about um, willpower and white knuckling it. It just has to be about accessing your willingness. So not willpower, but willingness to practice some new skills. Mm. And they're all easily practicable skills. Mm. Beautiful. And with that, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo co-host and producer of the show, and we've been discussing inner nurturing for healthier eating with guest Julie Simon, who is a psychotherapist, life coach, and author of the book we've been discussing today, When Food is Comfort. You can find out more about Julie Simon, her books, and schedule at her website, overeatingrecovery.com. Thank you so much for this conversation, Julie. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure, Laurel. (laughs) 
So join us later this month when Yogacharya O'Brien and uh, Yogi Cameron will discuss being a yogi in the modern world. Living by the ancient wisdom of yoga, we can create lives of abundant wholeness, purpose, and wisdom. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. CSE World Headquarters is located in San Jose, California, where worship services, meditation instruction, and Kriya Yoga teachings and initiation are regularly offered. Teachings are offered globally through online programs, outreach, and publications. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get podcasts. And if you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend about it. Yogacharya O'Brien will be coming to Southern California later this week. So if you're listening um, this in um, real time, if you're listening on October 17th, uh, you can still catch her. She'll be at the Soul of Yoga in Encinitas, California on uh, Friday uh, the 18th of October and Saturday the 19th of October. You can find out more about uh, her speaking schedule at... um, ellengraceobrien.com and uh, you can also find information about her uh, book well many books the one that was published um, most recently last year uh, which is called the jewel of abundance finding prosperity through the ancient wisdom of yoga award-winning book and also her um, her book of poetry the moon reminded me I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 